how thankful I am for amazing grace. But without that, I have no hope. I'm so thankful this evening that God has given the gift of grace to all who receive it by faith. And um, tonight, if you've not yet made that decision to trust in Jesus by faith, then I want to encourage you to receive that gift that God has given, the gift of his amazing grace toward us. What a blessing it truly is. Hebrews chapter 12 is what we're going to be looking at this evening. Go ahead and be turning there. Years ago, when Gage was just a little bitty fella, he was probably, I don't know, three, maybe four years old, he loved going to the gas station with my dad. And that was something that my dad would do regularly. And the reason that he loved going to the gas station with my dad is because he knew that Papa was going to buy him whatever he wanted when he got there. And so uh, my dad used to tell me, he said, son, if I'd have known how much fun it was going to be having grandkids, I'd have had them first. <laughs> now, I don't know what that meant for me, but um, he'd always tell me that. And he would say, one of my favorite things to do is fill them full of sugar and then drop them back off at your house. And he would always take every opportunity to do just that. And so one Sunday evening, he came by the house and he picked up Gage and took him to the gas station with him. And um, Gage came back with uh, Fun Dip. Has anybody ever saw the Fun Dip? My kids love that stuff. I don't even know if they still got it anymore, but all it was was some kind of sugary substance in a, in a little foil pack. And it came with a, with a candy stick, and they would lick the candy stick, stick it in the sugar, and then lick it again, you know, and that was the Fun Dip. And he came into the house, I'll never forget it, and he was wearing more of the Fun Dip than he was eating. I mean, it was all over all over his face, in his ears, in his hair, uh, everywhere. And when he come in, Brandy said, uh, boy, you've got to get cleaned up because it was Sunday evening. We was about to get ready to go back to our evening service at church. And so she got him in the, in the kitchen there with a washcloth and started scrubbing that face and scrubbing them hands and getting him all cleaned up. And then we went and got ready and came back into the living room and hollered for the kids to, to come on out and, and go on to church. And so... Uh, Gage comes back in the living room, and he's got fun dip all over him again from head to toe. I mean, all over his face, all over his hands, all over his clothes. His mama just put on him, and I said, boy, where did you get more fun dip? I didn't know it, but Dad had bought him not one fun dip at the store, but two fun dips at the store, and he had one in his pocket. So when we took the first one away, he just went in his room and pulled out the other one, so... And I said, what in the world are you doing with all this fun dip all over you? And he said, Dad, it just keeps getting gooder and gooder. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about Hebrews chapter 12. It just keeps getting gooder and gooder because I've certainly enjoyed the, the first 11 chapters. And I really enjoyed chapter number 11 as we walked through the hall of faith and we saw all the truth that applies to our life as we walk by faith. Amen. And so that's been a blessing to me. I hope it's been a blessing to you. And it was powerful truth that we can and should apply to our lives. But th there's no let up in chapter 12. I mean, God just keeps giving us exactly what we need uh, to live lives of faith as the people of God. And tonight we're going to focus on the first four verses. So let's read that together. I'm going to pray for you. Then we'll come back and, and get just as far as we can go in this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doeth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And again, uh, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful uh, for what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing everything necessary uh, to make it possible for us to know you by grace through faith. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your supernatural work in the life of your people. Thank you, Lord, for doing the things you do for us, for giving us the truth that you've given us right here in the book of Hebrews. Help us, Lord, tonight to preach this effectively unto your people. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of what you do. And I'm praying, Lord, that you speak truth to our hearts, for we are ready to listen. We need you, Lord. We can do nothing without you, Lord. And I'm asking tonight that you would have your way and have your will in these services. Lord, we ask um, that you would touch hearts and convict where conviction is needed. And we're asking that you would touch hearts and comfort where comfort is needed. For you know what we need better than we know what we need. In Jesus' name we pray and for your sake. Amen. So here the writer talks to us uh, about a race. He's actually giving the illustration of a race to describe our Christian walk, our Christian lives. And there's a reason that he does that. In Paul's day, as in our day, sport, sports was a big deal. It was huge then, and it's certainly huge today. I was listening to the Rick and Bubba show, which is something I usually do as my morning ritual every morning. And um, they were talking earlier in the week about how big sports were in the state of Alabama, especially the sport of football. And there was actually a young man who gave a testimony uh, on the show of just how much he loved the Auburn Tigers. And, and y'all know I'm an Alabama fan, and I'm not tonight in any way trying to pick on Auburn fans. I'm just telling you the story because what I'm about to tell you could certainly be true for the Alabama fan if we were telling it on them. But he said that he was such a big Auburn fan and grew up that way, and that's really how it happens in Alabama. You declare once you're born, or it's declared for you a lot of times, what you're going to be. Either uh, you're going to pull for Alabama or you're going to pull for Auburn. And this young man grew up in an Auburn family. His parents went to Auburn. He went to Auburn, and he was a huge Auburn fan. And he starts dating this girl, and they're getting along great, man. He says that he really liked her, and she really liked him. And it was going well for about six months until it came time for football season. And this young lady was an Alabama fan, you know. And, and by his own testimony on the show the other morning, he said, I just couldn't get past the fact that she didn't like Auburn football. And so he broke up with her. <laughs> Things were going great in the relationship. He just couldn't get past that. And I, I, you, I think that if we're honest, we, we can probably all relate to that somewhat. You know, that's, that's how big it is in the world we live in. Well, that's true for us now, but sports was big for Paul and, and the people that he lived around in that day as well. They had three major sporting events. They had the Olympic Games, which is still going on today. Uh, that'll actually, the Summer Olympics will actually start in a few months uh, we're still practicing that one. And then they had what's called a, the Pythian Games. And then they had what's called the Isthmian Games, which was actually held in Corinth. But these three huge 
sporting events was loved by everybody. And they had all kinds of different things. They had wrestling and, and boxing. Uh, they had chariot races. They had the most popular one was a foot race. And, and that's really what Paul is talking about here. Cicero, the great Roman senator, he said he complained that these runners were accorded more fame than a Roman general returning from a battle victorious. And so just as those, our sports figures are praised today, sports figures then were praised. And that's really where Paul's coming from when he writes, or who I believe to be Paul, when he writes in Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, or 1 through 2, about us running a race as the people of God. And that should uh, tell us just how important that our Christian walk really is. We can all relate to that. Now, there's three things that I want you to see tonight. First of all, I want you to see the spectators of the race. Then we're going to see the strategy of the race. And then we're going to see the strength of the race. So let's look, first of all, looking in, in verse number one about the spectators of this race of life. He says, Wherefore seeing, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doeth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So he says, there is a great cloud of witnesses. Now, let me ask you something. What is a witness? Someone who sees or someone who's looking on. And he's describing for us in verse number one that we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. Now, what I believe he's talking about here is first and foremost the heavenly grandstand of believers who've gone on before us, who's actually watching what's going on in our lives. Now, what I'm telling you, I believe that to some degree, um, saints who are now with Jesus can see what's going on with us on earth, how we're running our race, how we're living our Christian life, how we are fulfilling what Christ has saved us to fulfill as we live out our faith day by day. And, and, and I think that's not only true and, and actually being spoken of here in Hebrews 12 and 1, but we also see it all throughout the book of Revelation. Revelation 22 and verse number 17. Look what the scripture says there. Jesus speaking right at the end of the book of Revelation. He says, and the spirit and the bride say what? And let him that heareth say come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And so Jesus is saying, the Spirit is saying come. How many know God the Holy Spirit is still convicting hearts and changing lives even today and calling people to come? Come where? To come to the heavenly city. Come to the heavenly kingdom. And then he says, the Spirit saying come, the bride say come. Where's the bride? Well, the bride are the saints in heaven, the saints that are already with Jesus in this context. And so what I believe it's saying is those people that have gone on before us, those great men and women of faith, those that are a part of the bride of Christ, they're in heaven looking on and saying, come on to heaven with us, right? Keep running your race. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Keep being what God has called you to be. And they're looking on from heaven in the heavenly grandstand, cheering us on as we run. Now, I'm thankful for that. I don't know about you. That excites me. I've got a grandmother who was a great woman of God who loved Jesus with all her heart. And I believe she knows what's going on uh, to some degree in my life here on earth. And I believe she's cheering me on, saying, 
keep on keeping on. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Maybe you've got loved ones who now went on to be with Jesus. And, and folks, that's comforting to know that they're on your side. You're uh, before them, and they're that great in, among that great cloud of witnesses cheering you on in the race that Jesus has called you to run. Now, not only does that excite me and encourage me, uh, but it also um, alarms me a little bit, you know, that, that they're looking on at the life I'm living. And that makes me want to live a better life, amen? That makes me want to run a better race. So I do believe there is a heavenly grandstand, a cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on. There's no accident that this comes right after the hall of faith that we've been studying for the last three or four weeks. See, I think among those cloud of witnesses is O Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Rahab and Joshua uh, and uh, Samson and Jephthah and all of those great men and women of faith that were mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. They're among those cloud of witnesses looking on at what's happening in the life of believers here upon this earth. I don't know to what degree, but I do believe according to Hebrews 12 and 1 and Revelation 22, 17, that that's certainly happening. So there's a heavenly grandstand. Let me read to you a story that I, I read this week that really blessed my soul uh, concerning this whole thing. There's a man by the name of uh, uh, Jim Knight who was actually the coach at Fordham University. And he tells a story about a young man years ago who wasn't a very good football player um, and, and didn't get to play a whole lot throughout his whole career. This young, man, young man's dad came to every game just hoping that he might see some playing time, hoping that he might get on the field. And then right in the middle of his last season there at Fordham, his dad passed away. And that weekend after his dad had passed away, the young man came to, to the coach and he said, Coach, I want you to let me start tonight. I've never asked to start a game. I've never seen much playing time at all, but tonight I want to start. And he said, if I don't do well, hey, listen, pull me out, and, and, and that'll be fine with me, but please let me start this game. And so he lets the young man in, true story. And, and the young man goes on to play the game of his life. He goes out and becomes really the reason that they win that football game. So much so that his teammates carry him off the field, and after all is said and done, the coach came to him and he said, son, I've got to know. What caused you to play like you played today? I've never saw you play like that, especially since your father died last week. How did you have the strength to go out and do what you did? He said, well, coach, there's something that you don't know about my dad. He said, my dad came to every one of my games while he was alive. But the thing you don't know about him is that he was blind. He passed away this week. Now he's in heaven, and this is the first time he's ever seen me play. Folks, I want to tell you something. We have saints in heaven that are watching on as a cloud of witness, cheering us on in life's race. That ought to mean something to you. That ought to excite you, that ought to encourage you, but it also ought to alarm you and let you know, hey, it's time to get running. Can you say amen? amen. Not only do I want to do what Jesus wants, and I want Jesus to be proud of me, but there's some saints in heaven that I want to be proud of me as well. So there's a heavenly grandstand, a cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on in life's race uh, and that's for every believer. But not only do we have a heavenly grandstand, but how many of you know we've got spectators here on earth that are watching the race daily? Amen? Do you understand this evening that if you claim to be a follower of Christ,
that people are watching you? Day by day, people are looking to see if what you claim is the truth. There's people in your home watching you. Maybe your husband or your wife, your kids, they're watching. There's people at your workplace watching. There's people at the ball game watching. There's people in traffic watching. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. <laughs> people everywhere watching. And God forbid that a lost and dying world should expect more out of the Christian than the Christian expects out of him or herself. Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say it like this. I love how he put it. He said that he had rather see a sermon preached much more than he had hear, had hear one preached. It, he, he wants to see it in the lives of someone else. And the truth is, your life, my life, is the only sermon some people are ever going to see. So we have earthly spectators, and they're looking on, and they want to see a difference if we claim to know Jesus. They should see a difference if we claim to know Jesus. Can you say amen to that? So there's the spectators in the race, but also tonight we need to see the strategy of the race. Listen to what he says there in the last part of verse number one. He says, let us lay aside every weight. Let's deal with the weight. How many of you understand that a weight in a race is anything that would keep you from running the race effectively? Now these don't necessarily have to be bad things. Matter of fact, they may be good things. If a sprinter lines up at the starting blocks and he's ready to run his race, you know, there's nothing wrong with him wearing um, some hip boots, some hip waders. Nothing wrong with hip waders. Matter of fact, hip waders in a certain situation and circumstance is a pretty good thing. <laughs> but it's probably not going to help him run the race he's about to run. What if he gets up to the starting block and he's got an overcoat on? He's got a big parka. Well, if you're going to Alaska and you're about to go hiking or camping or doing whatever you're going to do in Alaska, you may need a parka. But if you're going to run a, a sprint, if you're going to run the race, it's probably not going to help you win. See, there's a lot of things in the life of the believer that may not necessarily be bad things. They even may be good things, but they're not the best things. And a lot of times what happens in our lives, we trade the good things for the best things. The best things are the things that help us fulfill what Christ has saved us to fulfill and run the race he's called us to run. But sometimes, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we choose the good things over the best things. Amen? It's not always bad to have good friends. But good friends can keep you from running the race God wants you to run. We cannot choose our family, but we can choose friends and how we spend our time. And we must choose wisely. I was talking to my kids just last week. I remember when I was on the senior trip, we took a... Uh, I'm going to say a, a trip inside the senior trip in New York City. And we went and rode the subway for about 10 blocks just because we wanted to ride the subway. 
you know, you've always heard about it. Everybody always talks about the New York subway. And we didn't know if we was ever going to get back to New York, so we wanted to ride the subway. So me and uh, three or four of my buddies, we get on the subway with Coach Childers, and we rode um, about ten blocks, uh, got off, walked back a block, and got on and rode back to where we started, you know, just to say we did it. And so while we were on that subway, let me tell you what I noticed. In those three or four stops that it made, there'd be people that would get on, walk on the subway, and then in just a little bit, the door would open up, and some of them would get off, and others would get on. Now listen to me. Their destination was not my destination. Where they were going wasn't where I was going. Now listen. There come a time when they had to get off. And I kept going. And then there came a time when I had to get off. And they kept going. Now, I'm not mad at them. I got to know them while we were on uh, the subway as best we could, even talk to some of them. Yet when, when you go to New York City and you've got, uh, you talk like a redneck, everybody wants to talk to you. <laughs> and so a lot of them were would bring up a conversation just on that short ride about why we're there and what we were doing. And so I got to know them, and then when it came time for them to get off, they'd get off, and I would stay. Or when it came time for me to get off, well, I'd get off and they'd stay. But the truth is, there's going to be people come into your life and go out of your life continually. And a lot of that is going to be determined on the direction you're going and what your destination is. And what God has for you. Now that don't mean you don't love them. That don't mean you don't care for them. That don't mean you don't like spending time with them. But guess what? Sometimes they got to get off. Sometimes you got to keep going. Sometimes you got to get off. And they got to keep going. You cannot allow even friends. Which can be and many times are good things. To keep you from the best thing. They can be a weight. Let me tell you this. You can't allow hobbies, which are good things, to keep you from being the best at the race you're running. And I'm a, I'm a hobby guy, man. I, you know, there's, there's certain things I like and, and I, I spend time doing, but, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying life and enjoying those things, but they have to be prioritized in the right place because if you're not careful, those good things will steal from the best things. What about television? Television a bad thing? Not necessarily. There's really some good things on TV. I, I watch TV. I'm sure you probably do too. But if all I do is watch TV and I never spend time in the Word of God and I never take time to spend time with the Lord, then that good thing can steal from the best things. What about social media? Is it a bad thing? No, not necessarily. I, I kind of think it's neutral. You can use it for good or you can use it for bad. You really can. But if you spend so much time on your cell phone, on social media, it can steal from the best things. Now, these are not necessarily bad things, but they are weights that keep us from running our race effectively. So what we must do is seek the Lord. 
Lord, if there's something in my life that's keeping me from running my most effective race, reveal it to me. I want to see it. King David said it like this, Lord, search me and try me. If there be any wicked way within me, reveal it unto me. That's what he prayed, and that's what we need to pray. So he talks about weights that weigh us down. Not necessarily bad things, just not the best things. But then he takes it a step further. He says, then, not only lay aside every weight, but the sin which doeth so easily beset us. Everybody see it? Now, weights weigh you down and keep you from running effectively. Sin trips you up and keeps you from running effectively. I can't say, there's one thing to be weighed down in a race if you're trying to run. But it's another thing to be tripped up. To be tripped up and fall flat on your face is a whole lot worse than being weighed down. Both of them will keep you from running the race effectively, but one is worse than the other. And the Bible says we must lay aside that sin that does beset us or trip us up. I was talking to a brother today, and uh, he was talking to me about something someone had said that really rubbed him the wrong way because it dealt with his sin. And then automatically he began telling me about how this other man has problems just like him and he pointed out the other man's sin. And the truth is, we've all done that to some degree. See, a lot of times it makes us feel a lot better to find sin in someone else because it makes us feel better about our own. And I told him what I want to tell you. It's funny to me how we always hate sin that don't look like ours. We'll justify ours. We'll look past ours. And we'll hate others. We've got to be careful with it. All sin trips us up. And the good news is, Jesus forgives sin. Mine, yours, anybody who asks. 1 John 1.8, speaking to the child of God. I love this verse. Look what it says. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not us. Now, he's not talking to lost people here. He's talking to the church. And he says, if you say you have no problem with sin, then you're lying to yourself. Let me say to all of us here at Mount Zion, if we say we don't have a problem with sin, we... From the pulpit to the pew, we're lying to ourselves. Now, why do we have a problem with sin? Because we still have a sinful nature. A sinful nature that came from Papa Adam that we were born with naturally in the flesh. Now, the Bible says 
We've also been given a new nature when we were born again into the family of God. Somebody say amen. And what we must do is die to the old flesh, die to the old sinful nature, so that we might walk daily in the Spirit. But we all struggle with sin. Now, I've been around some people who think they don't struggle with sin. They'll bless your heart. Make your eye twitch a little bit sometimes. But the truth is all of us do. Well, brothers, you don't know me. No, I don't know you. But God knows you. And God says if you say you don't have a problem with sin, you're deceiving your own self. All of us need God's grace. Does God's grace save us? Yes. But God's grace, God's grace also keeps us day by day. Look at the next verse, verse 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you are thankful that God is faithful? Yes. Now this doesn't give us a license to go out and sin. This is just telling us as Christians, when we do stumble, when we do sin, then Jesus is still faithful. His faithfulness is not dependent upon my faithfulness. And that's about the best news I've ever heard. And when we confess to him, the word confession is, means to come into agreement with. When we come into agreement with God and say, okay, God, you were right on this issue and I am wrong and I'm asking you to forgive me of this because I've been looking at this wrong and I've been living this wrong and Lord, I'm sorry. The Bible says when you get to that point, he's faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why? Look at this next part. I love this. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Next verse. Go to, go to chapter 2. Then chapter 2, verse 1, watch this right here. Very powerful. Why is all this possible? How is all this possible? My little ch children, these things are around you that ye sin not. That means God's, God's plan, God's purpose for you is that you don't live a life of sinfulness. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. We have an agreement with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Our agreement, listen to me now, is made because of the finished work of Christ. And that's awesome. Again, the same Jesus who saves us by his grace keeps us by his grace. Amen? So we must, first of all, be disciplined enough. If we're talking about strategy, we must, first of all, be disciplined enough to lay aside those weights that keep us from running effectively and to set aside the sin that trips us up. Discipline, we got to have that. But let me tell you what else we got to have. We got to have direction. Go back to Hebrews chapter number 12. And look down, verse number two. Excuse me, verse number one. We're foreseeing also. We are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which do it so easily beset us and let us run with patience. The race, watch this now, that is set before us. 
we got to know what direction God has for us. How I many you know I'm running my race and Brother Kyle's running his race? Now, his race don't have to look like my race, and my race don't have to look like his race. God has a plan and a purpose and a goal for me, and God has a plan and a purpose and a goal for him. My race is not Kyle's race, and Kyle's race is not Eric's race. All of us as people of God, as children of God, have a race, have a plan, have a purpose that God has set before us. I can't run your race, and you can't run mine. God has a purpose for me, and God has a purpose for you. And we've got to know what direction God is taking us. Well, how are we going to know it? We seek his will. We ask him. We get on our face and pray and say, Lord, I want to know what you want for me. I want to know what direction you have for me. God, I want you to lead God and direct me. And we'll relinquish our will to God's will, and we follow as he leads, brothers and sisters. And it happens daily, him leading us, if we're ready to listen. It's important that you follow the nudge. When you feel the Holy Spirit nudging you in a direction, go. <laughs> As you feel him lead, follow. Man, when you're at your workplace and you feel the necessary to speak to someone about how good Jesus is, I'm going to tell you something. And this is a lot of times, this is how I, I figure out whether or not God is leading or not. Because sometimes we can question that, amen? I do. Well, what's, what, what am I being led to do? What am, I, what am I feeling compelled to do? If I'm feeling compelled to talk to somebody, to witness to somebody about the goodness of Jesus, I can tell you this, that's not my flesh talking. Amen? I know that. Because the Bible says, in my flesh, in that old sinful nature, dwells no good thing, Romans chapter 7. It's not my old, that's not the old man talking. That's not the old sinful nature talking, I know that. Let me tell you what else I know. It, I know it's not the devil talking. The devil certainly don't want us telling someone else about the goodness of Jesus and how good Jesus has been for us. He don't want that. So if it's not me, my, that old flesh of nature, and it's not the devil, guess who it's got to be? got to be the Lord. We have that new nature. The Holy Spirit that dwells on the inside of every believer that nudges us along and leads us as we are ready to be led. As we are able to be led. Amen? I love Miss Janet Alexander. She's one of my favorite sisters in Christ ever. And uh, her and Brother Skip. But one thing that Miss Janet always said that I'll never forget, and it's so true. She said, God is such a gentleman. He never forces himself on any of us. And he doesn't. When we are ready to be led, he'll lead. When we make ourselves available, then he by his power will make us able in doing the work he's called us to. It's not about our ability, it's about our availability. But when we make ourselves available, he'll make us able. Not in our power, but in his. So, we've got to get that right direction. 
There's got to be discipline in this strategy if we're going to run this race well. There's got to be direction in this strategy if we're going to run the race well. But let me tell you something else. I, I want you to get a hold of this one. I don't want you to miss what the Bible is saying. There also needs to be some great determination. Now look what the scripture tells us in, in, in verse number, uh, number one there. Let us run with patience. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How many of you know running's not easy? Running takes work. Running takes preparation. But it certainly takes determination. Because it's not always going to be hunky-dory and hallelujah. And the truth is, from time to time, we're going to get tired in the race. And I've told you this before, folks, and it's so true. I, 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 I never get tired of the work of the Lord. But I'm going to be honest. It's possible to get tired in the work of the Lord. It really is. I love that God has allowed me the great privilege of preaching the word of God. I love that, that, that God has allowed me the great privilege to be your pastor. And I don't get tired of that, but sometimes you get tired in that. You get tired in the everyday things of life. Man, when you've got a family, you've got a job, and then you've got ministry and you've got all this other things going on, you get tired in the race. And sometimes you just want to sit down and quit. <laughs> sometimes in the race you get discouraged because the race ain't going like you think it ought to go. That's when it takes some determination. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I can't quit. Let me tell you why. I didn't start the race. I'm not the one who started this. Look at verse 2. Jesus started this race. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Brothers and sisters, when I, you know, years ago, uh, when I read this, I felt like shouting. Because I saw I can't quit what I didn't start. It was Jesus who did the work of salvation. It was Jesus who brought me to saving faith. It was Jesus who saved me. It's Jesus who called me. It's Jesus who keeps me. He's the author of my faith. He's the one who started it. I cannot quit what I didn't start. And he has promised not only that he is the author, the one that started it, but he is the finisher. Everybody say finisher. That means he's going to bring us home. That means he has justified us. That means he is sanctifying us. But that also means he will glorify us. He's going to finish the race. Philippians chapter number 1, verse number 6. One of my favorite verses in all the Word of God. Underline this one, you'll need it. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. That means what Jesus starts, he finishes. What he starts, he finishes. 
So when you get to the point and you're ready to give up and quit, you get to the point where you're discouraged and down and out and ready to stop the race, let me tell you something. Remember, you didn't start it. You can't quit it. This is the strategy of the race. Have the discipline enough to lay down the things that are weighing you down and set aside the sin that's tripping you up. Listen, get a hold of the direction God has for you. What does your race look like? Where is God leading you? What does God want for you on an individual basis? But then let me tell you something. Be determined. Realizing what he starts, he finishes, and I'm going to keep trusting in him. That's the strategy. Let me give you one more. The strength in the race. How do we have the strength to keep on keeping on when the, run, when the going gets tough, when the race gets tough? Well, I'll tell you how. Verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let me tell you what I found out. If you take your eyes off Jesus and you put your eyes on other people, you'll be ready to quit and give up. You will. Just like the old hymn song says, the arm of flesh will fail you. And I don't care who it is, men, women, boys and girls will fail you on their best day. And if you take your eyes off Christ and you put it on others, you'll be ready to quit. You'll get discouraged. You'll get down and out. You'll be depressed because, listen, you can't believe others are not doing what they're supposed to do. That's not up to you. You have nothing to do with any of that. They are not your servant. They're God's. So don't put your eyes on somebody else. Listen. You fix your eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus. Sometimes we take our eyes off Christ and we put it on others. Sometimes we take our eyes off Christ and we put them on the troubles in this life. Do you remember when Peter asked the Lord, Lord, if it's you out there walking on the waves, bid me come to you, bid me come to you, come out to where you are? And Jesus said, come. And the Bible says Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus. But then if you go back and read this story, you're going to see that the Bible says when he saw the wind boisterous and when he saw the waves crashing, when he took his eyes off the Lord Jesus and he put his eyes on the waves and on the wind, the storm that was going on around him, the Bible says Peter began to sink. And then the Bible tells us that he called out to the Lord and immediately Jesus reached down and picked him up. Listen to me, child of God. Don't put your eyes on others. Don't put your eyes on your circumstances, your troubles, your trials, your storm. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. That's what we do. That's where we gain our strength. Look at the last part of verse 2. He says, For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
that verse always just amazed me. Let me ask you this. What's joyous about the cross? What's, what's joyous about being ridiculed, spit upon, beaten with a cat of nine tails? What's joyous about being humiliated, hung naked on a cross with spikes through your wrist and through your feet? What's joyous about the crown of thorns? What's joyous about gasping for your last breath as your heart explodes because that's the cross? What's joyous about all of that? The only way, the only way you and me could ever have relationship with the Father was through the cross. You know what the joy of the cross was? You. And me, Squire Parsons used to sing a song called, When He Was On The Cross, I Was On His Mind. The joy of the cross was the relationship it brought you to God the Father. It brought me to God the Father. It brought to all who trust in Him to God the Father. The joy of the cross, amazing. Look at the next verse, verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. He said, when you get ready to give up and quit, you just remember Jesus kept going for you. He went through the cat of nine tails. He went through the humiliation. He went through the scourging of the cross. He went through all the things that we just described. He went through all of that for us. Listen, when you get weary, you remember. He went through it for me. I'm going to keep going for him. Verse number four, watch what else. He have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Do you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And it was in that moment, I believe, the sins of the whole world was already being placed upon him. Gethsemane itself, for those of you who were here during our study of the book of John, we found out that Gethsemane actually means the place of crushing. And I believe in Gethsemane, the weight of the sin of the world was already being placed upon Jesus. And the Bible says as he prayed, his sweat became as great drops of blood. He was being crushed under the weight of our sin. And what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, you hadn't went so far that you're striving so hard against sin that it's bringing blood out your pores. So keep going. <laughs> Amen. Keep on keeping on. Don't get weary in the race and want to quit. Fix your eyes on Jesus and race the race he's called you to win by his power. Can you say amen to that? Anybody got any comments or questions tonight?